0: Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a breakthrough in the Pentagon's huge cloud contract saga. I don't expect any of these providers not to be on that final list. Getting a head start in the vendor agency relationship.
1: In industry, we need to be working closely with our government customer as early as we can to identify the real problems out over the
0: horizon and a new chief data officer sets a new path for her agency
2: i'm really driving home the need for us to establish kpi performance indicators metrics that really demonstrate tangible progress it's
0: friday november 19th 2021 welcome to the daily scoop podcast every afternoon you'll learn what's going on today in government I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Four of the biggest cloud vendors in the world will have a shot at the replacement for one of the defense department's most important contracts ever. Billy Mitchell's writing about it on fedscoop.com. Billy, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. You write the department announced Friday, it's issued solicitations to Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, Microsoft, and Oracle to bid for spots on the joint warfighting cloud capability. What does this mean for the future of programs like JADC2 and so on at the Defense Department? Welcome.
3: Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, I think this is a big step forward. Uh, We've been awaiting this for quite a while. Obviously, as you mentioned, there was this JEDI contract that sort of hung out for several years and nothing really got done. So this is the department moving forward in a multi-cloud, multi-vendor procurement. The next step is these providers are going to bid on it and they would win awards to compete for task orders under that contract. So it, it means big things for things like JADC2 because it provides that cloud backbone in a multi-vendor capacity. um, And it gets the department on the
0: way towards this multi-cloud capability that it really needs. The surprise to me in your story is that there's no surprise in your story. The four vendors are perfectly logical. Oracle uh, protested the original Jedi deal a thousand times. And so it strikes me as logical that the department has included them this time. Amazon and Microsoft were the competitors in the Jedi contract. And Google Cloud has said recently, very high profile, we want to be included in this process. So it seems that these are the, organizations we would expect to be involved in this. This sounds like a pretty much a straightforward cloud procurement, doesn't it? Exactly. And I mean, so you see everyone you expect there. This gives everybody a fair
3: shot, whereas a lot of people thought in the Jedi procurement they didn't get a fair shot, especially Amazon and Oracle, who were the big losers there, as you mentioned. Google didn't really want a piece of that and has sort of since changed its tune. I don't know that really there's anyone missing here, maybe an IBM, but everybody now If they do receive awards after this invitation to bid, um, they'll get a fair shot at task orders at the task order level. But what that prevents from happening is then these people um, who maybe don't get all the action on the back end, they're not going to be able to protest that really. So hopefully the DOD is kind of uh, preventing this this ongoing uh, bid protest situation that it's been in for
0: the past several years. Should any of us be surprised if when the contract ultimately comes out, if all four of these vendors are on it? Doesn't that seem like the easiest way for the department to avoid protests and get this going?
3: Yeah, and I would expect that, you know, over the past, I I guess the DOD came out with this pre-solicitation in July and now they're launching the actual solicitation. So over the past five or six months, um, it's done a lot of market research. I hope that it knows what it's getting into and that these are the people it wants to do business with. And this is almost like a symbolic thing to say, hey, we're going to extend you an opportunity to do this. And pretty much, you know, by April of next year, it's going to award these spots. And I don't expect any of these providers not to be on that final list.
0: April 2022, you cite at the end of this story as a comment from John Sherman, who at the time was the acting DOD CIO. And now is waiting for confirmation as the permanent DoD CIO. That's when he said he hoped they would be awarding spots on the JWCC. Has anything happened since that comment by him to indicate that the department wouldn't be able to make that deadline? I
3: don't think so. And again, I think they they're, they're really, um, they they really really want to get to this point where they're they're in 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 the cloud in an in a enterprise capacity. I mean, I, I think this solicitation came out a little later than they maybe hoped. They, they were originally saying mid-October. So uh, maybe it'll be a month later than that. But by all accounts, I think early next year by the summertime.
0: Billy Mitchell, big story to break on a Friday. Thank you very much for joining me to talk about it. Absolutely. Thank you, Francis. You can read more about the Pentagon's cloud contract and lots of other stories at fedscoop.com. The Defense Logistics Agency's new chief data officer isn't just the chief data officer dr lindsey saul tells you why that matters later in today's daily scoop podcast Two of the Air Force's innovation cells have a new working agreement to collaborate on technical and workforce issues. The leaders of Kessel Run and Platform One say the agreement shows common values of the units. Lieutenant General Bill Bender, U.S. Air Force, retired, is Senior Vice President for Strategic Accounts and Government Relations at Lidos. He's former Chief Information Officer of the Air Force. General, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What do you see as the biggest transition that the Air Force is making Technology wise, in the time since you've been out of the service. Welcome, sir.
1: Well, thank you. It's great to be with you today. Um, you know, progress has been uh, really impressive uh, just kind of looking back over the four years since I retired in 2017. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in uniform during my tenure as the chief information officer, really working on what I would say was um, an education campaign more than anything else. Uh, you know, first, recognizing that the world around us had changed, that the cyberspace domain uh, was being operationalized by our adversaries and that there were very real uh, and concerning indicators of national security uh, challenges in front of us if we didn't get serious about it. So a lot of education just bringing to uh, leadership, decision-makers, influencers, issues, that would socialize the notion that, uh, you know, things were different and going to continue to be. So cybersecurity being first among them, but really the entire uh, domain of warfare that had had been developing. Um, And so I've seen a huge uh, improvement. All of our senior leaders everywhere throughout the federal space, not just limited to our military leaders, uh, are completely and totally of one mind on this is a serious problem and they're getting after it. Uh, So so that's been positive. I think the second area where the Air Force is concerned is in a a lot of work has taken place over those four years to really uh, further develop our software capabilities. And so much of what had been a hardware-centric Air Force is rapidly moving towards uh, software development types of solutions. Uh, digital engineering and things of that nature. And that kind of got a foothold uh, when I was in the seat, but not without a lot of hard work by the folks that that I was working with at the time.
0: What would you like to see your service do to continue to drive that? Because you're right, there are a lot of folks that have come along behind you, uh, Will Roper or Lauren Nousenberger, the CIO now, that have really driven that software-based mentality, if not actual uh, execution, and it strikes me that that's something that potentially is not welded into the fiber of the organization yet uh, and, and could potentially backslide. What perpetuates that in your mind?
1: Well, you know, it starts with the first point I made around, you know, education. Once you're senior leadership and look to the Chief of Staff of the Air Force, uh, General C.Q. Brown, and, and his, you know, sort of first, uh, if you will, you know, put a manifesto or campaign plan, I'm not quite sure what he called it, but accelerate, change, or lose, that is a a statement uh, from the top that basically acknowledges the fact that we have got to uh, do things differently and to, you know, further develop uh, this set of capabilities so that we're not um, beholden to the past and some of the arcane you know sort of rule sets and and uh, business processes around acquisition and procurement when and where it makes sense we're not talking in every case major weapon system developments we're talking about either business processes and practices or just better more efficient more effective ways to accomplish uh, the mission and much of that can be done uh you know through software development and so i think that you know the more we do the more we'll see and the more we'll learn and as an air force i think there's commitment at the top and that's important so i i think it'll continue and only go go faster
0: what are the challenges that not just the air force but all of the services and in all of the civilian agencies too dealing with today you've talked about cybersecurity but the uh, it strikes me the rapid pace at which the cybersecurity threats growing exponentially not linearly probably number one isn't it general
1: yeah absolutely and you know i think that what it what it tells not just the air force but all of the federal agencies that if they're going to be successful at the end of the day um they need to recognize that as important maybe more important than than leveraging the technology that is no longer really the issue but instead making um you know, sort of process and workflow changes to facilitate the technology that's now available to them, as well as the overarching sort of cultural mindset shift. This is the information sharing, uh, collaboration, um, efforts internally to, you know, sort of overcome the way that it had always been done when now the way has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, you know, sort of a high level strategic thought, but the reality is it, it manifests in practical ways all over the, the federal agencies and they have to really redesign work and reprocess and re-engineer the way they've gone about and arguably been very successful for many years uh, in an environment that has changed so exponentially, uh, as you, as you said.
0: You served in uniform for thirty-four years. You've been in industry now for about four years. What do you think the right balance is, or the right interaction is between industry and government uh, to reach the kinds of solutions that we've talked about in this conversation?
1: Yeah, uh, it's a great question, and it's the, the, the one point that uh, you know that I left uh, the Air Force with, you know, sort of emblazoned in, on my uh, in my mind. Uh, as the number one sort of takeaway was the critical aspect of uh, government industry partnership. And I mean, deep partnership, not just, you know, uh, passing of memos back and forth, but, you know, no kidding, rolling up your sleeves, solutioning together and fixing problems together. Uh, I think that's inherent in the word collaboration. But, um, you know, it needs to to be such that that collaboration becomes, A meaningful effort on both sides of that transom. And so, you know, in industry, we need to be working closely with our government customer as early as we can to identify the real problems out over the horizon and working with them side by side to address, uh, you know, those biggest problems. And if it takes uh, investing our research and development dollars, if it takes uh, investing our technically capable people that, that really know, um, you know, sort of what's possible and investing them and embedding them, then that's what we will need to do. And government for their part needs to be open to that, uh, to that assistance, recognizing that they haven't necessarily been equipped both in terms of the, you know, the training and education of their, uh, much of their workforce and also just, um, you know, the, the problems are manifold, so are manifest, I should say, and therefore, you know, we're going to have to really set our priorities together and then go after them together.
0: Is that receptivity on the part of the department improving? We see all of the units and so on, the innovation cells that are standing up, but I wonder if more broadly that attitude's permeating throughout the culture. In your view, general,
1: I, I think there's a willingness, but I think that as a practical matter, uh, there's a lot further to go um, at uh, at Lydos, for example, um, we're we're entertaining sort of a, if if you will, a post-pandemic um, type of uh, effort around really driving that collaboration, whether or not it's you know virtual or or call it hybrid or even in person, but basically setting up the conditions for doing that. It remains to be seen whether the government customer will be fully receptive to it because it still means getting out of your spaces and and you know, kind of having an open and transparent uh, dialogue. I think that there's a willingness. I think that we have to actually uh, now have a bias for action and, and together go make it happen.
0: General Bender, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Great to be with you
0: today. Thank you. You can read more about the Air Force's tech status in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The intersection of cybersecurity and physical security and preventing crashes at that intersection. David Mussington of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has advice on Monday's show. That Daily Scoop Podcast debuts Monday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Defense Logistics Agency has a new Chief Data Officer, but Dr. Lindsay Saul is not just DLA's CDO. Lindsay, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming on. What is your full title, and why does it matter to the agency and to the responsibilities that you carry with the job? Welcome.
2: Thank you, Francis. Yes, uh, the role is a new position in the sense that we've expanded the title from Chief Data Officer to Chief Data and Analytics Officer which really drives home the importance of data and analytics to the DLA agency. And um, since we are experiencing so much growth in this area, it only made sense for us to expand uh, the the name. It's a small nuance, but it better represents um, the, the office and the role that we are responsible for. Um, as, as well, data is the lifeblood for analytics, and uh, analytics is only possible with data.
0: What's the significance in combining them? What does that, What's the signal that you want to send to the rest of your organization, maybe even to the customers of the Defense Logistics Agency?
2: Sure. The, the signal that we want to send is, is really clear, uh, that we are first and foremost aligning to the DOD data strategy. Uh, we are taking the demand signals from them uh, with the Creating Data Advantage memo, Uh, and accelerating data for AI, that we really invest in making sure that data is an enterprise and strategic asset, and that we are equipped and prepared for the future needs of the department and uh, defense logistics agency in ensuring that we have our capabilities in place in order to be prepared to conduct uh, AI, artificial intelligence projects.
0: You are uh, working on a strategic plan that uh, you that will meld with DLA's overall strategic plan. How so, and what is the importance of that intersection, Lindsay?
2: The strategic plan that we are developing is a refresh um, and an extension of what the initial DLA data and analytics strategy we developed over three years ago when the CDO office first stood up. and The refresh is really um, an alignment to uh, the the DOD data strategy as well as the DLA uh, director's strategic plan. So it incorporates the the lines of effort and the critical capabilities, and and we really try to make sure that we are aligning um, not just to what our capabilities are within, but truly to the business and, and the business capabilities and needs that are represented in the DLA strategic plan. Um, our office is, is really here to serve the business needs, and so we really needed to make sure that in our refresh that we we, we make sure that that is at the center of, of everything that we're doing. We also wanted to make sure that, um, that the capabilities that we have uh, show the balance between offensive and defensive strategies. So uh, previously we were, we were very, very high level in just standing up the, the office um, and to get our, our, our feet wet and off the ground and, and have a solid foundation to move forward. Now we are entering the realm where uh, we need to become uh, a, a bit more defensive in order to do our, our offensive analytic work. So in other words, Really setting up the capabilities for data governance and data quality, in particular.
0: How, uh, what What are the steps that you need to make that transition, Lindsay? So
2: the steps that are needed to make that transition uh, are are really making sure that we have our or- internal organization uh, in line to to pursue the capabilities that that we have set forth. So there is a lot of internal um, rework and restructuring to make sure that um, our our skills and strengths are are best aligned to the new vision, uh, which is for DLA to be ready at a moment's notice to to make decisions, business decisions. and uh, so we're doing that internally. The next steps that that we also need to take uh, include working on and focusing on data governance. so, First step, we're defining roles and responsibilities for data. As the DOD data strategy put forth, uh, we really need to focus on collective data stewardship. And the way to do so is to make sure that stakeholders within the organization know their, their real responsibilities. We've been operating, um, you know, at DLA with data for, since its establishment. However, we can be doing so much more efficiently and effectively and needs to do so more efficiently and effectively in order to uh, achieve the goals that the department has set forth and that we are setting forth in the agency.
0: What do you think some of your biggest challenges or roadblocks are? What are the things that might hold you back or, or slow you down, at least, from reaching your goals?
2: Yeah, good question, Francis. So one of our big challenges right now, other than really setting up the framework in order to accomplish our new vision, uh, is data silos. In the organization, and I think other organizations struggle with this as well, and can relate. But truly, um, the organization is founded uh, on a more program by program approach or basis, um, which includes having a multitude of systems, uh, a mix of both DoD and DLA systems, uh, that are required to get to get the mission done. Um, however we're just now really starting to take a look at okay well how do the standing up a new system or application really um, really impact the data from a holistic perspective and um, we're finding that we really need to emphasize a cultural shift uh, with with thinking that about data first in any software development lifecycle so what we're doing is we're we're really entering the conversation with our digital business transformation and partnering with the the program executive officer to make sure that the data strategy is truly aligned with the digital strategy. And the digital strategy in turn uh, is very much focused on the business and re- business process reengineering. So by doing so, by partnering with uh, the peo and and the programs and and system owners, we are hoping to to make some changes there and ensure that we can create some standardization um, across data. We're also working uh, with OSD and with um, particular uh, program managers like FLIS, for example, um, to make sure that, that our data standards, our logistics data standards um, are improved, which will have a trickle-down effect um, and create... Some of that standardization and um, data quality improvement that we're hoping to achieve, and uh, also solve some of the issues of data silos. We have a ways to go, um, but that's where you know we hope to get started, and um, hopefully go from there.
0: How will you measure whether you've been successful or not, Lindsay?
2: Uh, great question, Francis. That's always the hardest and trickiest uh, part of all, but it's it's perhaps the most important. So. Um, I'm really driving home the need for us to establish KPIs, key performance indicators, metrics that really demonstrate tangible progress made. Now, some of these um, data management or data governance initiatives that we're taking on to solve some of our data silo problems, for example, data quality issues, are slow-moving. So sometimes they're going to be measured on a quarterly basis as opposed to a weekly basis. Um, sometimes you won't see uh, the needle move for maybe close to a year. Um, so we're, we're in the process right now of, of really honing in and determining what those KPIs, what those metrics are, and, um, and reporting them up through, um, through the chain of command uh, for DLA senior leadership to, to, to be aware of as well, to hold us accountable so that we, we ensure that we can move that mark. We also just recently had a um, data maturity assessment, our first one um, in, the organi- in the organization um, since the CDO uh, stood up, the CDO office stood up. And um, we hope that that will create a really good baseline for us from which to, to measure against and make sure that we are actually maturing in the areas that we need to
0: dr lindsey saul the defense logistics agency thanks very much for joining me today i appreciate your time
2: thank you so much
0: you can read more about the dla and data in today's show notes at the daily scoop podcast.com the daily scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms if you've already rated the show on your platform of choice thanks for doing that high ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. David Mussington of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is on Monday's show. Until then, have a great weekend. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.